welcome to this week's Tell Me About the Podcast. This week we will be talking about delegation. Little input, you achieve a huge amount of output. And that's what delegation offers. Surround yourself with people who are better at their jobs than you could ever be. We hope you enjoy. Hi Dad, how are you? Hi Beth, very well, thank you very much. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Sorry I asked that just as you took a sip. <laughs> what have you been up to this week? Um, well, it's been a very busy week. As you know, uh, we're away again tomorrow, going down to northern Spain to do some wine tasting for a week, which we're very much looking forward to. But there were a number of deadlines that I needed to get um, met before I went, but happy to say all of those have now been dealt with. So, yeah, I mean, I'm in, we're recording this in the evening, as you know, so I'm, I'm in a vacation mode already, ready to go. Perfect. Oh, I went to Reading Festival. That was quite good. Ah, yeah. How was that? I uh, saw The Killers, which was really good, and The 1975, which was okay. He was either acting very drunk or very drunk on stage, and I was kind of at the point of the day where I was like, I've paid to see you perform, can you just perform? And they didn't know the words to some of the songs, and it was just a bit like... And so, forgive me, old fart comment, the 1975 is a, is a solo artist. It's a band, but the front man, Matt Healy, and he's got this kind of reputation that he's building as a bit of a kind of like bad boy of pop rock, whatever his genre is. He didn't invent those, those weird trainers with little wheels in the back, did he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think you'd have to be singing drunk on stage if he did, didn't you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you're right. The inventor of the Healy's trainer is probably uh, lounging on his yacht somewhere in the world now. <laughs> I still have mine from what, when were we in LA and we had to go to like six different shops to find them because they weren't in the UK yet. But So I must have been 13 or whatever and I got a pair of Healy's. They still fit me. Um, <laughs> I still have them. <laughs> Yeah, I can remember seeing you skating off into the distance at LAX as we were coming home. Yeah. Thinking, where's she going now? Shouting across the concourse at you. Sorry. It's okay. It's all good fun. Great memories. And as you say, something that we hadn't seen in the UK at that stage. All right, so what are we going to talk about this week? Well, nothing anywhere near as exciting, I'm afraid, as uh, Reading Festival or uh, trainers with wheels in the back of them, but um, <laughs> something which we, we, we've skirted around on a couple of our recent sessions that I do think is an important point because it offers so much potential for the um, new entrepreneur, and that is delegation. And I'm sure our listeners, uh, their toes are curling up. They're probably thinking back to our cash flow podcast and the grief we gave them during that one. But I, I hope this can be a little bit more, um, a, a bit more interesting. And uh, and I certainly think it is a very important subject that the new entrepreneur in their startup situation should should be alive to and looking to exercise on as soon as they possibly can. Perfect. So why is delegation important? Well. Let's assume that you're the person who's delegating. What this is going to do is going to increase your productivity. It's the route to you releasing time so that you can work on your business. And we know from previous conversations that working on your business is what drives growth, builds security within the business plan, 
uh, gives a, a greater chance of longevity of your, your enterprise. How does delegation do that? Well, I think we've talked before about seesaws and fulcrums, but just to recap on that, if you think of a, a seesaw, the fulcrum point is in the middle. And so if you push down on one side, it goes up exactly the same distance on the other side. If you think of that as your efforts and your outputs, then they're equal. But if we can move that fulcrum point to one end or the other of the seesaw, and then you are the manager pushing down on the short end, the long end, if you can visualize it, will go up much, much higher. So for little input, you achieve a huge amount of output. Mm-hmm. And that's what delegation offers to managers and leaders, and particularly to the new entrepreneur at the startup stage. It's your opportunity to start to do much more, see much more being achieved within your business for less of your own time commitment and less of your own concern. It's also, if we recount our time management conversation recently, Beth, it's also one of the four Ds that we touched on. Just by way of reminder, that's around assessing the tasks before you. If it needs to be done, do it. Um, If it could be deferred, then that's great. Plan it in and set the amount, right amount of time in your schedule to get it done. If you can delegate it, do so. And if it's to be deleted, just delete it. So it fits into those four aspects of assessing how you determine the tasks which you should complete and how you're going to go about achieving them. I think it's also important to the delegatee they will get the opportunity to see for themselves evidence of your trust within them if you delegate correctly, and we'll we'll be going on to talk about that. I think it can fuel a desire for growth within the role that the delegatee holds if they are being delegated tasks to which are ones that they want to rise to. It's their platform to shine, if you will, the opportunity for them to show something which maybe they haven't been able to show before. And it probably brings them, well, in fact, I know it does, it brings the delegatee closer to the business and to you as the person delegating the task in the first place. So it's important all round to delegate wherever one can. Deal with some common misconceptions which always worry me when I'm working with people one-to-one around delegation. Two two misconceptions that are most common are, uh, I can't delegate this because nobody can do it as well as me. Well, that's just foolish. The objective of good management and leadership, the objective of the entrepreneur, if you're building your business, is to surround yourself with people who are better at their jobs than you could ever be. Those people who feel that nobody else can do it as well as them are driven by a sense of feeling threatened. That comes from an insecurity, a lack of self-belief, and that really is something which the uh, entrepreneur needs to sort out first before they go any further. If you think about the conductor of an orchestra, that person may be able to play a violin and play a cello and play a flute, but they can't play it as well as the first violin and the lead cello and the lead flute. The people within the orchestra are there because they're so good at what they do, and it's the conductor's job to get them to show their skills and talents to the best of their abilities within the piece which they're playing. I think that's a great analogy for the entrepreneur and how you should be thinking about making sure you surround yourself with people who are better than you and then getting them to show their skills and talents. That's a a point. If you're an entrepreneur with more experience, 
under your belt, let's say, and you're delegating to a younger person, you always remember that they've come through at a different time. So they'll have training in different software or different ways of looking at things that you don't have. So it's not that, you know, that, that they're threatening you, but they just might be able to do things a different way or teach you how to do things a better way. It's it's a two way street in that aspect, not just uh, they will do it better than me. So I'm not going to give it to them because I feel threatened. Mm, yep, very much so. Yeah, good example. Yeah. Uh, the other misconception I come across often is nobody can do it as quick as me. The further sentence after that is usually by the time I've explained it to them, I could have done it myself. And this is, to my mind, a total travesty. To be able to delegate to people, to be able to build teams who are going to follow you as a leader, who are going to help you fulfill your entrepreneurial ambitions, you've got to invest in those people. And for sure, a simple task may take longer than you could do it to teach somebody else how to do it, to ensure that you delegate that task correctly to them. But once you've done it once, think of the myriad times potentially that same task could then be delegated off to that person that you've prepared to fulfill that task to the standards you wish. So that investment of your time up front will pay dividends in the long term. It's a very narrow microsecond choice to say that by the time I've explained it to them, I could have done it myself. Missing the point about the creation of opportunity in the future that can come from good delegation. There are some basic rules around delegation, and when we come on to those in a moment, uh, they'll be very familiar. But I think that there's an important phase before we get on to those basic rules, which is about preparing to delegate, getting, getting ready to ensure that there's success for all of the parties involved from the delegation process. I think this starts with really knowing the people around you. Each person within the team you've got or each person that you could potentially be delegating to need to understand their capabilities, their skills, their experiences. You need to have a sense of their desire for stretch, the extent to which they want to be challenged by the tasks which they're given. Stretch here is about extending skills they already have. This is an evolutionary process when delegation is used to develop people. If not, and you're actually expecting people to go and acquire new and different skills to their basic skill set to deliver upon a delegated task, then it's a revolutionary movement and it doesn't have a role to play here at all. The other aspect of stretch, of course, is tight timescales. We don't want to put unnecessary pressure on the people to whom we delegate but we do want to force creativity in the way they discover deliverability of the task. That serves the greater good. If they're polishing our systems, our processes and our procedures by thinking about ways in which they can cut corners without compromising quality, uh, cut out duplication, all manner of different things that will be their creative contribution to the attainment of a tight timescale that is not necessarily just about putting pressure onto subordinates. If you really get to know the people around you as described, then tell them you trust them. They don't know that, they need to be told. When they know, they will excel. If they're the right people in the right place at the right time that you've selected well and that you have built a relationship with, these people will excel the moment you tell them that they, you trust them to get on with the jobs that you're asking them to do. For all of that assessment of the capability of the delegatee's ability to deliver, I think we also need to instill a sense of risk taking. There has to be an accepted allowance for failure. We don't want to deny failure. 
There's no point in delegating to somebody and saying, this can't fail. We can't get this wrong. This is absolutely critical. You've got to get this right first time. You're just going to turn off the person's creativity, the person's ability, the person's desire to achieve. They're going to feel oppressed by the delegation rather than empowered by it. We also need in preparing for delegation to choose the time to delegate. We have to respect everyone's desire to be working on important tasks, not chasing their tails, trying to deliver urgent tasks. Sometimes urgent is unavoidable. If it is, then I think it's important that the entrepreneur uh, in delegation share the burden, uh, sprinkle it with love, talk it through, get it, get it done. Everybody's got to just move in and get something done if it's urgent. We, we know that, we've talked about that. But if we can choose the time to delegate that enables people to stand back and think about how that's going to fit into the other aspects of their workload that they've got, then we're helping them stay in the important, not urgent phase of their task prioritization. And the other thing I think we need to do in preparing to delegate is to tap into our best communicator skills. We need clarity, steadiness. We need to engage and enthuse the people that we wish to undertake tasks for us. We need to clearly transfer both authority and responsibility to the individual so that that's from when they will get their empowerment to deliver upon this piece of work for you. That's the key thing with interior designers when you're wanting to delegate further on in the design process or whatever if you do already have a team around you then starting the communications very early on so in the first stages of concept design so that you don't get to the point when you're doing developed design or documenting where all the design is just in your head and everyone else has to help you document it mm -hmm. so keeping that communication from the start to the end is really key here yeah. I think that's right. And um, so many people will, 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 will be running around themselves. It's so important in preparing to delegate to put yourself in the right place such that you are reflecting back to the delegatee how you wish them to behave. This you know, do as I do, not do as I say type stuff. Mm -hmm. Leading by example all feeds into that preparing to delegate piece. So. Let's assume that we've been mindful about the preparation for our delegation. We understand um, what it is that our, our people around us are capable of doing and we've got over our misconceptions and we're ready to go. Good practice in delegation has been written about, spoken about, podcasted about, YouTubed about to death, frankly. And the, the acronym that I think does warrant two minutes of our time is SMART. SMART stands for specific measurable, attainable, relevant. Sometimes that R is for realistic, depending upon which textbook you're reading and T is time bound. These five components are what are said to define good delegation, good instruction to a subordinate to complete a task. Why don't we try rather than just explaining what each of those five mean? I'm hoping our listeners have come across them many times before and have as good an understanding as we do of each. Let's try and just look at an example. Under specific, I could say to somebody, if I'm the manager and I want somebody in my team to get a job done, I could say to them, when you have a minute, please get the new brochure over to the printers ready for the new product launch. Seems 
entirely reasonable, a reasonable request, but it lacks pretty much every one of these five measures. It isn't specific. It, it's difficult to measure when that's completed. It's difficult to know whether I've got the right person doing it or not. How relevant is that? Well, we're not quite sure. And, and it wasn't really time-bound other than just ready for the new product launch. An alternative to that might have been please and there's such a big role for pleases and thank yous in delegation in management and leadership throughout please produce print ready artwork for the agreed new brochure by 5 p.m thursday and email it to my inbox suddenly we have lots of measurability it's about a production it's about a specification of print ready artwork it's about but the relevance of it is that it's the agreed new brochure the time bound nature of it is 5 p.m on thursday into my inbox and I can measure all of those quite firmly and, and fixedly. So the measurement needs to be around the specifics of the words you choose in delivering your delegation um, speech. The measurable is about being specific in the words you choose when you give delegation to a subordinate. The non-specific words don't help. You're almost fueling the potential for the delegatee to either not fulfill the task to your requirements or to find ways of sidestepping doing the task in the first place. Under the relevant heading, which is important I think here, is does the task help attain higher goals and, ta and targets? Perhaps we might extend the brief. We could include a prefix such as the target release date for the new product is X. So we need to have the print material ready before then. Suddenly we now know why we're being asked to produce print-ready artwork for the new brochure. And maybe there's a postfix that can go on which helps with this relevance of the task. We're trying to fit the, the individual task in some greater good, some overall sense of progress within the organization or the team or the division or whatever. Maybe the postfix deals with the value of the work. Something like getting this done on time and right for the printers means that we've done our bit and then it's all down to the product team. So we now have a, 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 a value statement around the task as well. And on the time-bound piece, we don't want that time to be loose. We've said specifically in the words we're recommending here by 5 p.m. Thursday, an email to my inbox. But we could go on to provide some kind of framework of bailout so that there isn't a, a do it or die sense to this instruction. Something like, if you think the task will overrun, let me know by 10 a.m. Thursday at the latest, so we have time to meet and work it out. So we've got more specificity about time. We've got a clear action, should we get to a point, that we're going to overrun, as the delegatee might think that. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, when you have a minute, please get the new brochure over to the printers ready for the new product launch, we could say the target release date for the product is X. So we need to have the print material ready before then. Please produce print ready artwork for the agreed new brochure by 5pm Thursday and email it to my inbox. Getting this done on time and right for the printers means that we've done our bit and then it's all down to the product team. But if you think the task will overrun, let me know by latest 10am Thursday so we have time to meet and work it out. So we've given thought there to a more detailed sense of the instruction to delegate, yeah. which gives us all the opportunities we need to, to be specific, know that we can measure the individual elements of it, know that it's attainable in that we can get everything done that we need to get done, understand its relevance and understand the time framing of it.
Do you think that example actually helps or not? No, I think it. I think it does. I think a lot of people that I know don't do that. It doesn't come as second nature to everyone to do that, or even just saying please and thank you and whatever. Well, yeah, I mean that perhaps comes back to the earlier point about preparing to delegate. Um, is you know having time yourself to think through what is it I really want this person to do for me, and what's the most efficient and effective way I can instruct them to get the job done right first time within all of the parameters within which it's got to be done. Mm. But you know far better than I these days. The reality is most managers and some of them will be entrepreneurs startup entrepreneurs are running around like headless chicken trying to keep a hundred plates spinning when their capacity to spin plates is 10 and so they they might not even stop as they shout through the door at you get that done please and let me know when it's done yeah yeah you have to find time you know the process of delegation is an art form in itself yeah uh, yeah i definitely see that and i think that's most important with the junior members of staff and the interns and such who will be just some of them scared that you're even talking to them let alone that you're asking them to do work so really like pairing what you want them to do in a way that you know everything is on hand and they know that you're there and they know their timelines and i would always give them a dead if when i've been delegating in the past give them a deadline of like a day or two before I actually need the work so then you can review it with them and just be like okay fix all of this and then or it's perfect great let's move on to something else yeah cool yeah I I like that a lot yeah building in a little bit of um, buffer to the process that isn't undermining the responsibility that you're giving to the delegatee yeah um, but is buying everybody a little bit of space to ensure that if things go wrong collectively those things can be put right yeah and as you say it's all about being organized in yourself so you know that you have to give that to them with them to have enough time to have that wiggle room afterwards. Yeah, 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 cool. Good. There's a couple of other things under this heading of good practice that I wanted to touch on. One is what happens after you have completed the delegation. The first thing to my mind, the most important thing is leave them alone. Let them get on with what you've now instructed them to do. If you've got your delegation right, there will be agreed review time points if that's what you've built in. If it's not just get it to me by X, which is the only time point you may have said in your instruction to them. I'd like you to come and see me on Tuesday afternoon and let me know how you're getting on. Let's have 30 minutes by way of review of your progress then. That's an agreed review time point. Don't be tempted to go and butt in in the morning of that day and say, how are things going? Looking forward to hearing later on. That's starting to undermine immediately. Leave them alone. It will be up to the person delegating to determine how many review points there might be in a task. That's going to be about how confident you are in the delegatee's capabilities, what their supervision needs are. Um, so to, to your point, Beth, about you know going to an intern and them looking like rabbits in the headlights because you've approached their desk. That determines a degree of confidence that you've got in them. And you know you'll do your first delegation one way. They'll show themselves to be competent once you've given them their head to show what they can do and you build your confidence in them and you build in less review time points or less of that slack that you were talking about a couple of days early on the deadlines you start to know that you can trust people to run a little bit nearer to the edge as you do as the manager and the delegator in the context i think it, as well as leaving them alone however they also need to understand that you're always available to answer their questions 
Listening skills are very important. We, 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 we know how to listen. You expect them to ask questions. If they're listening correctly to the instruction, you expect them to ask questions. If there are no questions, be suspect about what's going on. Which of those smart, those five components of your intended delegation are not working correctly? Because if the delegatee just sits there and goes, yep, boss, yep, okay, got that, yep, we'll do it. I, I got a I got a fiver says that's going to go wrong. They need to be asking questions to evidence the fact they're listening to you. Let them, and then always, and then develop that to make sure you're always available to answer any further questions that come on. And of course, a part of leaving them alone is don't micromanage. Don't have a sense of snatching it back at the first agreed time point that you're reviewing progress. Things haven't gone quite well. Don't dismiss them and decide to get back to doing it yourself. See the above the mm-hmm. misconception that just undermines everything. It goes back to something we spoke about in a past episode about asking them to collect all their questions um, so they're not interrupting your workload as well as theirs. And then when they get to a point where they can't do the work because they need all the questions answered, approaching you rather than phoning you or going into your desk every five minutes with questions. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So we've covered off what I think are all the important points to talk about in in delegation, but there must be one burning question many of our listeners will have, and that is, I'm a first-time entrepreneur and I'm early into my startup and it's just me. Who can I delegate to? I understand that and I think it's a, a difficult situation, but I do encourage young entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs to think about delegation at the early stage and think about the ability to delegate when hiring people into your business. Ask yourself the question, to what extent can I place responsibility and accountability on this person that will relieve me of time and give me the opportunity to go off and do other things? That really is the benefit of uh, delegation, as we were talking about earlier on. But if you don't have staff, I do believe that there's, there's ways and means of delegating. If you have, say, contractors or advisors or suppliers, they're third parties to to your business. And although you can't manage them necessarily in a procedural basis using simply the SMART acronym, you can effectively create contracts for service between you and those people, which reflect the aspects of SMART, looking for time, cost and quality specifications within what it is that you're requiring your advisors or suppliers or subcontractors to do for you. Um, Beth, I did wonder, this is something that I suspect that you get involved with quite often when you're instructing contractors or suppliers or subcontractors or whomever it might be. Do do you do that? Do you feel that you're delegating to them or or, or no? Yeah, um, I think... Specifically for me, for suppliers, I definitely like to make use of their uh, knowledge in whatever they are supplying. If they, for example, are sanitaryware bathroom suppliers, I will just send them ideas of what we want for the project and they'll send me back a spec for everything, all of the concealed parts. So that, yeah, I definitely do delegate with within that with the suppliers. And we, um, in some of the companies I've worked in, we also delegate our drawings. So we have CAD teams uh, around the world that will work on drawings whilst we're sleeping and have them to us in the morning to keep the projects going at a good rate. Good. Yeah. And so that helps you to prepare for delegating then using similar techniques of motivation, enthusing, uh, measuring, 
um, assisting, supporting, encouraging, uh, all the stuff we've been talking about uh, can be done to a third party to your business as much as it can be done to subordinate staff. Yeah, and definitely with the CAD team because, it, I mean, I feel sorry for them sometimes when we're constantly red pen marking up drawings. So you have to keep that good relationship and, you know, put the odd smiley face in your markups or say this bit's really good to keep the morale up when uh, everyone's working on those deadlines. Yeah, I like that idea of um, telling them what's good before you tell them what needs improvement. Yeah. There's no substitute but to big someone up before you're just going to chip a little bit off the edge. Definitely. Cool. I think that's that's as much as we need to say about delegation at this stage in the process and hopefully that's that's been helpful. Perfect. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week where we'll be talking about effectiveness versus efficiency. As always, keep an eye on our Instagram at tellmeaboutpod for updates from us. And please follow, like and review to help others find us too.